praying for the Lord to send forth workers into the harvest. That is a topic on today's ReChurch. Welcome to ReChurch. I'm Marshall Fant, the Director of Church Consulting and Strategic Planning for Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. My purpose is to encourage pastors and church leaders as you refocus, renew, and revitalize your churches. We've established this podcast to offer practical tips and suggestions as you equip disciples to make disciples. Thank you for joining us on today's GFA podcast, ReChurch. I have the privilege of interviewing Forrest and Jennifer McPhail. Uh, they are missionaries 18 years to Cambodia. They faithfully served God in missions for all these years and much experience. And Forrest and Jennifer, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And you're currently, uh, of course, in the U.S. We're doing this podcast in the U.S. You're returning to Cambodia tomorrow. Um, You have one child you leave back here in the States in college. That's right. And three in Cambodia. So I know um, that's another topic in itself, how to prepare children on the mission field to come back for school, right? Another whole topic. Mm. We're not going there. But Forrest, we're talking about, uh, I know your burden is to see more workers coming into the field. So you want to start with just reading the passage, the challenge there for our topic today. This Matthew 9, he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. Amen. All right, so let's first just talk the philosophy of laborers. We know in 2 Timothy 2.2 that we have the pattern there of those teaching Paul, Paul teaching Timothy, Timothy teaching faithful men. So generation after generation, we are as pastors to identify men, women that we can invest in, that they would go and bring forth fruit as they become a disciple. And I think a, a vibrant church ministry equips disciples, Ephesians 4, 11, 12. So for us as a pastor, your responsibility is to equip believers for the work of the ministry. And as they're doing the work of the ministry, it's our prayer that they will become a worker in the ministry. Is that a fair way to put it? Yes. All right. So you're in Cambodia. About how many people in Cambodia? Well, it's a country about the size of the state of Missouri, Missouri, with uh, 15 million. 15 million. Okay. So just general numbers, how many would you say unsaved, unchurched of the 15 million? I mean, these are big numbers. I know. Uh, but 98%. So 98%. percent Plus unchurched. Okay. So roughly 1% are believers, if we can just use those numbers. So you've got 99% of the people that live around you. Unsaved, don't know Christ. The eternal destiny is going to be hell because they don't know the love of Christ. So how do you and Jennifer begin to pray, strategize, partner with others for God to send forth laborers? What are some things y'all do? To encourage people stateside or on the field or? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> first, stateside. Let's talk about stateside first. Well, first of all, stateside, we are very burdened to have people praying for us. And because of that, we take our prayer letters very seriously. We pray over our prayer letters and we want those prayer letters to be used of God to stir up people to pray. And uh, that's a major part for us is our prayer letters. And also staying on top of correspondence with people when they are burdened and want to pray and want more specific information to get it to them uh, so that they can pray. 
All right, so as you're praying and you're seeing God answer prayer, give us an illustration of how God has answered prayer with workers that you had mentioned earlier. For instance, um, God raising up laborers. We, when we went to Cambodia, obviously we were very burdened for Cambodia. (laughs) It's a wide open mission field and we were overwhelmed with the need in Cambodia when we got there. But we were also very burdened for Thailand, which is next door. And Thailand has, I believe, 66 million people and is one of the most resistant places in the world for missions and has been for a long time. Buddhist country. We prayed about whether the Lord would have us switch fields from Cambodia to go to Thailand because we were that burdened for Thailand. But Mm. we knew God wanted us to stay in Cambodia, so we started praying that God would send forth laborers uh, into Thailand. My brother-in-law took a trip with me uh, to Cambodia to look for some housing for our family. Is your brother-in-law a pastor, missionary, layman? Um, At that time, he was directing a camp in Kansas called Amazing Grace Baptist Camp. And he had gone to school to study missions, but the Lord had never directed him as to where to go. And so he went to Cambodia with with me to look for housing, and I talked to him a lot about my burden for Thailand. Uh, God, now, were you talking that. or were you preaching? I'm just okay. curious. Here. Both. Okay. And praying. All right. And when they, he went back to the States, he and his wife came to the conclusion that God was calling them to go to Thailand. Hmm. And uh, God used that to call uh, them to Thailand. And they've been in Thailand now for how many years? 11. 11 years serving God. So praise the Lord for that. Wow. All right. So that's just one instance of answers to prayer. Okay. Another? Yep. Missionary Jim Hayes, he was a missionary uh, in Thailand, and when Cambodia opened up, he went straight into Cambodia, and uh, in Cambodia began to pray that God would raise up five families to come to Cambodia, and he was earnestly praying, him and his wife, for five families, and God raised them up through his prayers and through his specific influence. Five families came to Cambodia. Now, were you one of the five? We were one one of the five. Wow. We were one of the five. And here we have a man who was burdened for a specific number and prayed that way, and God brought him. And then by the time we were coming, he went back to Thailand. Wow, so he really prayed himself out of the country then. He went into the country, <laughs> prayed in workers, and he went back. So we got, we've got the theology of praying for workers. So as you pray through this and you see Cambodia and all in, in Thailand, all the countries around you, how were you not just so overwhelmed with the numbers and the enormous task? How do you even divide that in your prayer life? Jennifer, I mean, how, how, I'm just sitting there thinking 99% unsaved, where typically in the American community is probably 40 maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I'm thinking 99 out of every 100 people, that's the mission field. How do you even begin to... Because you were divide and conquer. Where do you start in such a field that's so white under harvest? It's true. It's very overwhelming. I think each time that we go back, there's a period of time. It almost takes adjustment to be able to handle the weight of that, uh, almost an oppression that mm. you feel from the great need. And then when we come back here, it's probably good for our churches to understand that we have a bit of a shock when we mm. come into our churches here. A lot of us feel very emotional when we realize how many people there are here who have mm. the gospel 
and how many people there are there who need the gospel. And sometimes uh, we don't understand why God's not thrusting out more. Do you ever get get angry when you go into churches? And I mean, I'm saying that in a spiritual sense. Okay, do you ever get... Do you ever get a little, how frustrated do you get when you see uh, well, churches you're in with people who have the knowledge and the understanding but are doing nothing with it? Uh, there is that uh, sometimes, but so I remember. So what do you do to guard against bitterness or anger? Or I'm, I'm just talking reality here. Hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on to the next topic. Okay. Well, let me share a different uh, experience with you. I remember being in... Uh, a missions conference in Singapore. Uh, there are a lot of Christians in Singapore and some really good churches, some big churches in Singapore. And we were at a missions conference and, and I was one of the main speaker at this conference. And uh, I remember coming out on Sunday morning to face this congregation. And I look across this congregation, there are like 500 people. And my immediate thought was, there is not a single congregation in my whole country of Cambodia this big and most congregations statistically would be like three people, five people, mm. uh, and a lot of times not even a man, just a woman, a couple of women and children. And I just wept. I couldn't speak. I was just overwhelmed by the fact that I was standing in a place that had 500 born-again believers and that where I serve, there's not one like this exists. And that it does get overwhelming sometimes. But something that is used of the Lord to encourage me is the constant uh, thought that God is doing a lot of things in this world that we're not aware of. Mm. And God is using more means today than he's ever used. Mm. And God uses all of his people, no matter how weak and messed up we are, no matter how messed up our message even is, he is still working and using all of it. We're just... Each one of us is one little tiny piece. Wow. And God is working. His plan's a whole lot bigger than us. And uh, to remember that keeps us in perspective. He's the Lord of the harvest. Mm-hmm. He's the Lord of the harvest. That's right. All right, expand on that a little bit. He is the Lord of the harvest. I mean, Jennifer, you picked up on that. So one of y'all go a little bit further with that phrase. And, and maybe I'm not sure I've ever really thought of it that way in, in, in my mind. I always think of the other way. The harvest is so great. Where is everybody? But you just said something very good. He is the Lord of the harvest. On the mission side of it, we do see that there are waves of interest Hmm. in different fields, and it does seem to change from time to time. And maybe even as we look at history, we can Hmm. see that God worked more in uh, certain countries at certain times. And it's just obvious that he's the one in control. He's, <laughs> There's yeah. this intersection of uh, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility going on here in this matter of prayer uh, about the harvest as well. All right, so in our remaining time, what are some things, uh, Forrest and Jennifer, you would say, all right, first on the American side, what are some practical things pastors can do, missions committees can do, churches can do, in order to prepare the heart of future workers, both male and female? What would be some things that maybe have stirred your heart or you've seen hearts stirred as you have tried to cast a vision for missions and ministries? I would say two things. Uh, First of all, if your church doesn't have any real prayer meeting, 
you have no hope in this topic. You might as well just stop listening because uh, it is the corporate prayer meetings of the church that move the hearts of the people. If, if God's people aren't praying just in general for their own ministry and one another in a corporate sense, in a real sense, in a concentrated sense, in a prayer meeting, uh, then how are they going to mobilize to pray for missions? Hmm. Uh, how can they pray for the greater harvest in the world if they're not committed to praying for their own, where they are? All right, so in the corporate prayer meetings that you have been in that you would think uh, energize uh, people's hearts in order to pray and go, what were some of the common factors? I know it's not a program. This is the moving of God. I'm not trying to say we do A, B, C, and therefore we get D. But there is a spiritual atmosphere right. that, that generates heartfelt prayer that honors the Lord. What were some things you have seen in churches or in the, on the mission field that help prepare people for this type of prayer in order to pray for the Lord, as Jennifer said, the Lord of the harvest to prepare and send people? Is there anything in particular that comes to mind? I think that when we've been in churches where I would say they have a culture of prayer, mm -hmm. where if you're talking to somebody and something comes up, people in that church are very likely to say, let's pray about that mm. right now. Uh, those tend to be the churches that have very real... So you would call it a culture of prayer. Certain churches yes, have a culture of prayer. Right. And I was rebuked years ago as we replanted a church, and one of our deacons came up and said, Pastor, if this church is going to be doing anything, it's going to begin with prayer. I said, well, Roger, what do you recommend? I mean, help me here. He said, we need 24-hour prayer chain on Saturdays for 30 minutes slots. I said, Roger, we don't have 48 people in the church. He says, I know that. He said, I will personally volunteer for every 30 minute slot somebody doesn't take. And back in those early years, I mean, Roger was up most of the night praying. That changed the culture of our church. When we got a hold of that, and several men and women in the church learned that type of prayer, and I confess it didn't come from me. It came from one of our men in the church. And mm. I rejoice. Mm. But that's what you're talking about, that culture. Those are yeah. the people who are they're going to really pray for laborers. Amen. So, again, it starts with prayer. Yeah. Okay, Lord, send forth laborers into your harvest, into his harvest, into our harvest. And then it's preaching on the call of the gospel. Okay, expand on that for us. Uh, it seems, and I, I think that most people would agree, that preaching on the subject of the call to gospel ministry has fallen out of favor. Mm. And I think that fewer and fewer people are ever even hearing a message challenging people to consider a call to gospel ministry as a vocation, whether it be something where you're actually paid to do it or not paid to do it, but you're called by God to devote yourself to the gospel in an unusual way by God's direction. Amen. It seems that that message is not being preached like it used to be. And if it's not being preached and God's people aren't being challenged to consider that, and they're even being led to believe there is no such thing as a call to gospel ministry, then how, how could 
people be raised up to go into the harvest fields. Then. Amen. You know, I will forget, I, I had the privilege of being mentored after I came to Christ as a college freshman. A man named Charles took the next year before he went out to seminary and mentored me. And I will forget the challenge. He said, okay, we need to pray that God would work in your heart in such a way you want to go anywhere and do anything. And, you know, it wasn't in my life till 20 years later or 15 years later, God called, set me apart in vocational mm -hmm. ministry. But I remember that personal challenge, just one-on-one. Okay, are you willing? There is a call. Mm. And maybe we've failed in that area when we mentor men. I'm just reflecting what you said. I think I have failed. And really that one-on-one -on -one challenge, hey, are you willing? So I think that's a great reminder. Thank you for that. Now, let me ask you another question. So when you're preaching in churches, do most churches give you the freedom to extend that call in your messages? I have been given largely a free hand when preaching mm -hmm. in churches. Uh, I'm not I'm not told what to preach on or what yeah. not to preach on. So, but I have struggled with exactly how to go about this topic because I know there's a lot of confusion about it going mm -hmm. on in churches today, and I'm not sure I understand what people are saying and not saying about it today. And so that has caused me to kind of back away from it myself till I get a better understanding of. Again, my observation, I'll have you comment on this. I think so much reactionary because you and I both started seminary with, I don't know, in my uh, MDiv class there were 10 and 5 finished. So I think that one time there was a culture of if you were really a Christian, you're going to be in vocational ministry. Hmm. When the, really there were some godly men who out of guilt may have tried to go to seminary right. and realized in reaction to that, guys have quit giving that strong call. But I think there's an overreaction. I think we as pastors need to rise up and say, here's the need. Have you ever determined, again, this is an interview with you and I'm doing the preaching right now, but we need pastors and missionaries to, to ask point blank, have you been called? And if not, are you, are you ready? Would you go? Hmm. But I think there's also that personal mentoring right. and then the public challenge. So I appreciate what you said. Okay, anything in closing here? Lord, send forth laborers. So you're in a country of 99% unbelievers. And the fellow that, that was answered prayer when you went prayed for five. Hmm. And, and so I think the challenge is it goes back to prayer and a vision of what God could do. Jennifer, any closing comments on that? You said it. You said it, <laughs> Forrest? Just do it. Do it. Again, if you'd like to get in touch with Forrest or Jennifer, be sure and email me. I will pass it along to them. My email address is mfant, mfant at gfamissions.org. And as always, I want to thank Sarah Hartwig. Sarah's the one that puts all these things together and edits out all my mistakes and others' mistakes. So, Sarah, thank you for your ministry to us. I pray that the GFA uh, ReChurch podcast is a blessing to you. If there's a topic or something you would like for us to discuss, if you please also would email me, that would be a great blessing. Forrest and Jennifer, thanks for being with us. And I trust God will bless your ministry and God will truly send forth laborers to be with you in Cambodia. You're listening to ReChurch, a podcast of Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. If you would like more information about our ministry or how we may assist you and your church, visit us at gfamissions.org slash consulting.